Just a couple minutes late today. I am excited about today's show. This is going to be John Bush on the Freedom Cell Challenge, episode 3446 on this Tuesday, February the 13th of the year 2024. Where has the time gone? It seems crazy to me that we started this little journey together back in June of 2008, and this summer we'll hit 16 years of TSP. Don't mention that a lot, but every once in a while, it's just kind of, I look at the number on the show and I just think this can't be, but it is. We've been doing this now for almost 16 years together. Today's show is going to be exciting. We're going to talk about freedom cells, what they are, how you can get involved, why you would want to do that, how it can improve your quality of life, develop community. Probably one of the biggest questions I get an expert counsel, Nicole Sauce gets all the time. I want to build community. I want to build community. I want to build community. John Bush has put together a tool that is like designed to build community and community. It's not just a bunch of people that send us the messages to each other. I mean, social media and, and staying in touch, that's all an important part of a group, but actually doing things, actually supporting each other, actually committing to that, actually taking action. And then as you form your group, reaching out to other groups and building this massive network of cells that can exchange value for value, that can rely on each other, that can trust each other. How do you do that? You'll find out in just a minute when I bring John on. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is JM Bullion, where you can find silver, gold, platinum, other precious metals, and some really cool stuff at some of the best pricing you will find anywhere in the world with great service. I mean, absolutely fantastic service. I've been working with them guys now for over 10 years. I don't think there's actually a lot of podcasts that keep sponsors for decades and can measure that in decades. That are out there. We definitely can. And JM Bullion is one of those sponsors that's been with us that long. And I know you guys know me. I'm a big Bitcoin guy. I'm like, if it's not in your portfolio, you're messing up. I have never turned away from precious metals as a component of that as well. Five to 10% of your net wealth should be in precious metals. It is the most anonymous and easily transferable from transferable form of wealth there is. You can hand a, you know, a silver round to your neighbor across the, the fence for some stuff out of his backyard. You can give it to your kids. It's completely unseen. It's me, you, and the fence post money. And it's had thousands of years uh, of being never worth zero and always being used by humans as money. So definitely you want it in your portfolio. But Jam Bullion, why them? Hey, man, again, a decade of sponsorship in, in podcasting. How about all your orders over $200 ship free? How about a discount on silver and gold? No one does that. We do that for MSB members with JM Bullion. How about the fact that if there is ever a problem, which there just isn't, but if there was, I can get directly in touch with the president of the company. That's why you should be doing business with them instead of what some boomer is telling you to do on Fox News because I buy gold. Like, don't do that. Buy gold and silver from a trusted source uh, that you really can trust and really is kind of in league with you guys and supports what you guys support. Next up today is Joel Riles with K9 Academy. I'm happy to say that K9 Academy, as it is today, not as a thing into itself, but I actually have some fingerprints on. Joel came here and brought Dorothy and I, our dog, Bell, uh, last summer, and we sat down and we spent a long, like a four-day weekend together going over exactly how to put this together, and I hate doing that. That's called consulting. You guys know I don't do that. 
But Joel's the kind of guy, he takes that, he goes home, and he does what you say. That's why I was willing to make that exchange, a dog for some consulting. And, man, I got to tell you, if you ask any good trainer and you say, what is the hardest thing to do when it comes to training dogs? They're going to tell you training the human that is responsible for the dog. The dog's easy. The human's the hard part. Canine Academy is where you can learn to train your dog with a variety of courses. I recommend everybody out there, if you have dogs in your life and you will have dogs in your life in the future, start out with the Canine Academy Basics course. One-time fee. It's not like a recurring membership or anything. Learn those core basics because anything you want that dog to do, you want a livestock guardian dog, you need core basics. You just want a dog to be like a good dog around the house, not jump on people and tear your couch apart. You need core basics. You want a dog that's a protection dog. You can actually take with you anywhere you go. And if, if somebody tries to harm you or your family, they become your fortress. Yes. Then you need core obedience. You see how that works. No matter what you want, you start with core obedience. Everything builds off that along with the three C's. What are those? I don't know. Take Joel's course and you'll find out. Check him out today. Canine Academy. Dot us. With that, I want to bring our special guest on. That's John Bush from Live Free Academy and about, well, like five dozen other things. John, how are you doing today, bro? I'm great, Jack. It's always a pleasure to catch up. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. Most of my audience, you've been on the show enough. You've kind of done a, 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 a in and out version of being on the expert council as well. So they're kind of familiar with you. Uh, one way or another, you've been in the liberty movement forever, for definitely for as long as I have, if not longer. Um, over the years, I've watched that change a little bit as you start having kids, a little bit more thought into how you're an activist and not ending up in jail and things like that. Um, but just for people that are maybe new to, to John Bush, like, how did you go from being whatever you were, man, some dude that hung out and chased chicks in a bar or something or whatever it was, <laughs> to like, I actually care about freedom and liberty enough to get actively involved. How did that happen? Well, I've been doing freedom slash truth activism for, I guess, 22 years now, since 2012, 20 years, 22 years, 21, 22 years. So more than half my life. And so basically my entire adult life. And it was actually uh, learning what took place on 9-11 we still don't specifically know, but there was definitely some funny business that took place and the official government story is most definitely a lie. So I caught a documentary and uh, really felt the injustice. I was already a bit of a rabble rouser getting in trouble in high school. We organized this protest walkout when they tried to enact this privacy or this uh, tardy table policy. And I remember like the principal was like uh, Columbine had just happened. And they're like, you guys are going to create an opportunity for another Columbine here. You're in a lot of trouble. We are going to get the FBI involved. Of course, they were bluffing. But anyway, I was always a bit of a rebel. And then I caught this documentary by old Alex Jones, 9-11 Road to Tyranny. This was 2002. I think I said 2012 earlier. 20, I meant 2002. And, um, and that was just a big eye opener. And I think it was the injustice, like, are you kidding me? They could really do this and then lie to us, but also coupled with me just being a bit of a rebel and kind of rebelling against my parents that uh, led me down the rabbit hole. And when I learned about libertarianism, it just seemed like, wow, here's a philosophy, a political idea that could work. And then I got involved in politics. And of course, that didn't work. And I gave it an honest effort. So for all the people that are like, if you don't like the way things work, you could go vote and lobby. It's like, man, I did that for a long time and it didn't get me anywhere. We, we merely slowed the growth of tyranny just in a very small way. We didn't create real freedom. That's ultimately what led me to the idea that if we want to create freedom in our lives, we need to take responsibility for doing that. 
And that's the whole parallel systems, parallel economy, Bitcoin, Monero, and uh, ultimately this Freedom Cell network. Yeah, and I, could you say a little bit more, you know, on the idea that you did it the way that people say that you should do it at first, right? Like go vote or run for office or lobby or write your congressman or your councilman and stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying nothing can get done like that. I'm just saying the progress in that approach seems very tediously slow to me. Yeah. So we all have limited time and energy resources. And so we've, we ought to be very choosy with how we spend that time whether it's building a family, building a garden, uh, or trying to build a free society. So ever since I was 18, I voted in every single election for a good chunk of my adult life. And like literally every election, dog catcher, you name it. In fact, I was like campaign manager for somebody that was running for school board, campaign manager for a long shot city council candidate. And every single election I participated in, Except for one, the person I voted for didn't win. And the person, this one person, she was a judge. Her name was Melissa Goodwin, and she kind of pitched herself as a Ron Paul Republican. But she was just a traditional run-of-the-mill conservative, definitely preferable to the Democrat she was running against. But I only voted for her because I uh, had a, a court case dismissed, uh, illegal U-turn. And me and my dad went, and he, he helped me to defend it. And she dismissed it. So I was like, I'm going to vote for her. She gave me a fair shake. Anyway, so voting didn't do anything or get anywhere. Not to mention I was a delegate for Ron Paul at the Texas convention in 2008. And I saw how he completely got railroaded, even in the state of Texas. So I was like, this isn't working. So we're like, all right, well, the federal thing, that's a total scam. And our voice is very uh, minimal. So let's take it to local and state politics. So we started a political action committee. We got involved at the city government. We got involved at the state house. And one of the biggest realizations I had was like, we're actually passing legislation. Like I auth I participated in the authoring of a bill that would require these fusion centers. That's the Department of Homeland Security, FBI, local police, local sheriff, University of Texas police. They all collaborate on the information gathering and intelligence sharing practices. The Missouri Fusion Center actually targeted Ron Paul activists and Libertarian Party people as potential militia extremists. That's what opened our eyes to it. Anyway, we got this law passed that would have requ that required all nine or so fusion centers in Texas to have these strict privacy policy standards that say they can't collect information of a political, religious or social view. And that's like, great, this is a great victory. We'll come to find out several years later, my name actually ended up in one of these fusion center databases. Uh, we got police officer. We, they wanted to train police officers to do phlebotomies, a blood withdrawal. If they suspect you of DWI on the side of the road, we got that stopped. But then they just hired a nurse and did it at the jail. And yeah. I came to the realization that like all this effort, all this money we're raising, all these flyers we're handing out, all the time we spend at the state house waiting for the next hearing or sitting with some do good bureaucrat at the city hall. And all we ever got was simply a tiny, 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 minuscule bit less tyranny. No new freedom, no ability to live our lives unmolested by the government. And so that's really when I started being like, what else is there out there? And I also recognize there's a ton of freedom people out there after even after Ron Paul in 2008, let alone now after COVID, everybody's waking up. Um, yeah. I realized there's enough of us now if we simply shifted our strategy away from this reactionary paradigm of fighting the man and always going to put out the latest fire. 
if we shifted our strategy and instead started creating systems that will help to foster freedom, not just for ourselves, but for future generations, then we could potentially experience liberty in our lifetime. And if not complete freedom, like anarchism or voluntary society, at least we're able to slowly but surely exit from those systems that they're kind of entrapping us and start to experience a, a better life. And, you know, your show, everything you teach it's creating more freedom. It, we don't have to always see it in this political construct. In fact, maybe if we focus on the politics, that's kind of a rabbit hole. It's like really what matters when it comes to freedom. Are, are you familiar with, like, this is going to sound way out in left field, but you know me, I'll always bring it back to reality. Like, are you familiar with a bug that people call an antlion? Kids sometimes call them doodle bugs. Mm -mm. Okay, so... You might even know what they are without knowing a name for them. A lot of times, and there's lots of them in Texas, in really soft soils, like sandy soils, you'll see these little, they look like little divots. And this is, this bug's actually a, a larval form that turns into a, 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 an insect predator. Uh, but while it's in larval form, it's like some kind of space beast, except it's tiny. And it eats ants. And it builds this little funnel-shaped hole. And when an ant goes into that hole and starts struggling, because the dirt's so soft, it will start to struggle, struggle, and it will fall down into the hole and get eaten. And if it's tr almost going to get over the ridge, the little antlion will spit dirt at it and knock it back down in the hole. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel like all this conventional action in voting is, right? That even when somebody gets something done, you're like, okay, that was good. Like while they were doing that, like eight other things that were bad happened. So you took one step forward and seven back. Uh, and that's how it feels. And then like, the funny thing is, like, we were kind of bored little kids growing up in Florida when we discovered these things. And so when you're bored, you do things like throw ants in there to watch what happens. <laughs> well, the ants that would eventually, like, some ants actually would get out. And they were the ants. They didn't freak out and, like, just start scrambling. They just kind of slowly walked up the side. Mm. And they would get hit a couple times, and they would go up over the side, and they would go on. You throw them back in. That that one ant would seem to get out of that hole over and over again. You finally give up and go get one of her one of her buddies and toss her in there and then she would get eaten and all the kids would cheer. And I, I kind of feel that, that that's how a lot of people are in our political system today, that even when they think they've done something, all they've done is just scatter brain and they're still falling back down on the hole. Yeah. And, and something that comes up for me, like the calm ant, it's like the ant is calm. He's not freaking out. He's not reacting to the circumstances. Rather, he's like, I'm in a pretty serious situation. I'm going to work yep. my way out of it by being in control. And in many ways, we give up sovereignty when our actions and our time and our life is dictated by the enemies of freedom. You're constantly reacting to the latest fire, the latest controversy. Same thing goes with our attention, too. It's like the latest scandal, the latest thing that the media or even the alternative media wants to focus on. And we're not on our own course because the more conscious you are about your own life design – the less time you have for all the nonsense, especially the nonsense that literally bears no fruit. So with all this in mind, it's one thing to tell people, like, grow your own food, get off grid at least partially, be prepared, form community, etc. all the stuff that we talk about. But you put together Freedom Cells to create kind of a template to do that in an intentional way. Can you kind of talk about how you came up with the idea for Freedom Cells in the first place? Yeah, so Freedom Cells are essentially – it's a group of people working together on common goals. 
And these goals tend to focus on exit and build goals, right? Which is everything that you teach folks through the survival podcast. It's exiting the banks, buying gold or silver, or learning to use cryptocurrency, having cryptocurrency to protect wealth, but also using it in commerce so we can trade amongst ourselves as they try to shut us out of the economy. It's uh, getting the kids together and, and doing a homeschool co-op or raising the kids together so they have these tight relationships with freedom people, growing your own food, exiting the reliance on grocery stores, right? So all of these things are all the more easy to accomplish when you're working with other people that are on the same page. So the core of the Freedom Cell concept is get together with other freedom lovers. Don't just talk shop. Don't just share articles. Don't just whine and complain about the problems in the world, but rather do things. But it doesn't stop there. The beauty of it is like I was trying to figure out how, why is it, the idea was born out of this question. Why is it that there's so many people that care about freedom right now, but we're all living slavish existences? You know, like how to find freedom in an unfree world. And I was like, wow, even myself, you know, I'm paying my taxes. I'm complying with all this stuff. But I, I know that I'm a free person and I have this inherent freedom just by nature, whether it's God-given or it's natural, whatever the deal is. And so I was like, what are we missing and I recognize we're missing numbers. We're missing strength in numbers. Like if there's a bunch of us to where one day we're like, we're no longer going to participate. We're no longer going to comply. It makes it much more challenging to take us out or to crush us or to put us in jail or take our property. So that was kind of the, the, the thinking behind it. And then I was like, well, what can we do in order to bring people together and to ensure that when we bring people together, our organization, our community, our network, it doesn't become hierarchical or it doesn't turn into a situation where one person controls other people or can railroad the entire thing. And so it was built with that in mind. So it starts with the core group of people working together on goals, getting together every week, every month, having a potluck, working on the garden together, raising the kids together, leaning on one another and for mutual aid. But then it's like, well, let's not stop there. Let's encourage the creation of other small groups and then let's get the small groups together. And we're kind of a larger group, but we're not as tied or connected or beholden or committed to the our core group of approximately eight people. I can share why we use that number. But then you have now you have imagine you got like 50 or 60 people across the southeast area, a town or across the city or whatever it may be. And you guys get together regularly, too to talk strategy, to see how we can support one another. So, for example, Nicole Sauce in Tennessee, she's very active with the Freedom Cell community, and they have, like, their GSD crew, and they have these other preparedness communities. And you don't even have to call it the Freedom Cell Network. Like, we're not all hung up on that. The idea is just get together with people and work on common goals. But as far as, like, a regional thing, so when you have small groups and then they all get together occasionally – they're currently working on this project where they're identifying holistic health practitioners all throughout Tennessee, right? Imagine there's not as many as a, as a hippie place like Austin. So the community's mm. coming together and they're like, I know some people over here. I know some people in Chattanooga. And now they're creating like a directory. So regionally, you can benefit from these smaller groups connecting, but it doesn't stop there. Then we connect the group in Tennessee with the folks in DFW and the guys in Houston and Derek Bros is doing stuff in Mexico. And now all of a sudden, we have a real network of people where we could trade, we could support one another, and we can share ideas on how to most effectively opt out of this beast system that's getting built all around us. 
Awesome. Can you talk maybe a little bit more about the overriding strategy behind this network that you call the Freedom Cell Network and maybe speak to a little bit, you know, you mentioned being on a list. Uh, a lot of people seem concerned about that. I, I'm not. I'm on all the lists. In fact, at this point, if there was a list that I'm not on, I'm kind of wondering if somebody dropped the ball or something. But uh, there are people that have this fear that, oh, they're going to know. And, and my response to that is that they, they already know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, I always say, uh, you know, if we're all on the list, then there is no list. It's just us, right? Yeah. Um, also, on that front, though, on the list front, um, just like having a gun, it's better to have a gun and not need it than to need a gun and not have it. It's better to be a part of a community of freedom lovers that have your back and not even really need to rely on them in a, in a security situation than it is to not have your crew because you were afraid you're going to be put on some list. Um, and then something happens and, and you're like, I, sh- I didn't want to meet up with these people because like we created a network of people that anyone can tap into. So I, that is probably the most common objection. So really, there, if you sign up on our website, freedomcells.org, and then you can use a fake email. You can use a fake name. It's a website that we host. It's hosted by a freedom company. We have very serious privacy practices and security practices. So I'm sure the NSA could backdoor all of that. Sure. And it's like, whatever, man, you're watching this podcast. Who knows what you're sending to people on Telegram? It's like we need to stop living in fear in all reality and and being so worried because there's so damn many of us. I mean, the thought of mass arrests of people that want to just create freedom and, and homestead and stuff. Nothing we're doing is even illegal. So it's like maybe things get more authoritarian and all of a sudden our very existence is illegal just because we care about freedom and we're prepared, you know. But no, we're not breaking the law, and I don't think any district attorneys – we're not storming the Capitol building like a bunch of jerks you know, getting set up and entrapped. We're just like, let's go over to Jack's house and learn about permaculture. you know. So just want to encourage people. Some people make those excuses too because maybe there's other reasons, but that's the excuse. Just like yeah. I'm not gonna, now that I missed out on Bitcoin, they told me about it when it was $2,000. Now it's $50,000. So now I'm just – my default is to be pissed off about Bitcoin. Point and make excuses about why it's going to fail. Where if I bought it two thousand, you know, when it was two thousand, I'd be all in. Same kind of deal. Maybe yeah. I started a group or I was part of a group and the people turned on me. Or maybe I have some social anxiety and so it's easier just to make an excuse that I won't be on, that I'll be on a list instead of actually go and be uncomfortable meeting people. Right. So yeah. that's what I would say about all that. It, it comes up and I I get it. Uh, you can use a fake name. You can just show up and meet with people. You don't even have to use a website that can put you on a list, so to speak. But uh, the overall strategy, by the way, we're hosting this challenge, right? And, and Jack's been promoting it, and we're, we really want to get a lot of survival podcast listeners out there. And, you know, the whole Jack Spearco, Nicole Nexus, and the Self-Reliance Festival, it's just that those are the type of people that we want to build community with because you guys got your shit together. You're not all freaked out. You're not going down all these conspiracy rabbit holes. You're like, what, what can we actually do? Let's take action. So we're doing this challenge. People can sign up, livefree.academy slash TSP, livefree.academy slash TSP. It's absolutely free. We'll help you onboard into the network, help you find people, help uh, provide you with some activities you can do as a group to like get on the same page and come up with goals. But the strategy behind it is exit and build, exit the system, build new systems, 
And then conversely, let's build new systems that are outside of the controlling system, the surveillance system, the state, the big corporations. Let's build these new systems so it makes it easier for us to exit. I'm not saying like empty out your bank account, stop paying taxes, leave yeah. your corporate job. No, we're going to build these relationships, these communities, these networks, these trade networks, these networks where we got each other's back. And then it's going to make it easier for us to exit, which is what the ultimate goal is. And then with the Freedom Cell Network, there's over 40,000 people that are participating across the globe. So chances are, if you live in a you know moderately densely populated area, there's probably some people in your area, whether they're active or not remains to be seen. But the idea is let's get together so many people Let's start building and connecting and doing stuff in our area and let's slowly but surely decouple ourselves from the systems that we've become dependent on, not just because that's how we ought to live in the first place. But COVID revealed and many of us already knew this was the strategy of the predator class that they will twist, manipulate Cajole, is that how you say Cajole? K K Cajole. They'll cajole us. They'll twist our arm till we say uncle. They'll be like, you don't want to take yeah. the shot. No worries. Uh, you're not going to be able to go to the bar. You're not going to be able to go to see you're, you're, the dance recitals for your kids are over. Right. And then they're like, oh, well, you're still not taking it. Then we're going to try to take away your livelihood. They'll try to pressure you, socially engineer you to do things that you don't want to do. And they're able to get away with it for many people. When you are dependent on the, whatever little leverage they have over you. So the idea is slowly but surely over time, let us decouple, let us move away from those systems that they have us kind of ensnared in. And the Freedom Cell Network aims to do that. And the ultimate goal, when I share this, sometimes it scares people away, sometimes it excites people. But the ultimate goal ultimately is, is to bring together so damn many people hundreds of thousands, thousands, millions of people all on the same page to where one day there's enough of us to basically just declare our independence and say, we're no longer going to participate in this system of yours. And, you know, ethically speaking, all this stupid war stuff like that's I got involved in the anti-war thing because of 9-11 I saw as a fraud in the Afghanistan war and the, the war in Iraq, especially. And I kind of moved away from that because I try to focus on what I have control over. But the stuff that's going on nowadays with Ukraine and then everything going on in the Middle East right now, it's like it's it's so bad. Whether what side you're on, like this is ugly and disgusting. And frankly, I feel ashamed that I still file my damn 1040 every year because I'm funding all this nonsense. Yeah. 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 And it's the price we pay not for a civilized society. It's the price we pay at this point in history for access to things that we want access to. That's that's what it comes down. If there was a parallel system we could opt into, many of us would, you know, yeah. but I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to dole out, even if I have the money, cash for my house. I want a mortgage. Well, okay, then we're kind of going to play in the system, at least for now. So we have this kind of straddling we're doing. And what you're describing with Freedom Cells is very analogous to something that I started talking about, I guess, around 2012, which is virtual nations. That it, at some point, if you have enough people voluntarily associating based on a common ideal, you have a nation. Like people think of nations as states, and there are nation states, of course. But, you know, a state is a geographically bounded area that you can put on a map and say, this is where it ends and this is where it begins. And this government's in charge of this piece of land where a, a nation, I mean, we have, you know, indigenous nations, uh, they, they're part of the Chickasaw Nation. But they don't live in Oklahoma. 
yep. where the Chickasaw Reservation is. They're, they're, or they own piece that's in Arkansas. They live in Pennsylvania, but they're still part of that nation because they have that common heritage and common ideology. Yep. In that case, it's a bloodline thing, but there's nothing that says that has to be that way. Yep. And if you could build this to the point where there's you know millions of people that are part of it, just in a free market system or even a market economy that's somewhat controlled alone, you have a lot of power. When you can tell governments, companies, other groups, hey, there's five million of us here, and we don't really like what you're doing, and if you want our money, then you have to do things our way, or we're not going to give you our money. There's a leverage point there. And I think maybe it starts with money, but long term, I think you're right. It goes into compliance, because you brought up covid and there's a lot of people that don't live here in Texas that just think we didn't participate at all in the lockdowns and the shutdowns and all that. But we did, and our government certainly did. I don't think the government of Texas is why Texas opened up prior to most other states. Like Florida probably was 30 days ahead of us and everything. I think it was mostly because there was a spirit here, and it wasn't just total renegades like us, right? We were like the ones that instigated it. But there was just this kind of non-compliance really quickly in into this where people just stopped. And we had the mask cards everywhere and all. But, I mean, I don't know about you. I would go to, like, Walmart or something to pick some stuff up, and I walk in with no mask on. And the $7 an hour door person is like, would you like a mask? No, I have a bunch of them. And I just go on about my life. Yeah. And you start walking around the store, you realize, like, nobody that makes 10, 10 bucks an hour is going to tackle you over a mask. They don't, they don't have time for that. And you start looking and you see people like staring at you and they look at you and then they would be like, and they would mm-hmm. take their mask off. And then it would just cascade. And by the time you left, because one person didn't do it, Half the damn place had gone completely anarcho with it. And at that point, they really can't do anything. What are they going to do? Tell half their shoppers to leave the store? Now, to be clear to people that are like, wait a minute, this was a couple months into it before it started happening like that. Like, people kind of did go along and get along. But they they jettisoned it right away. And I just think there is more from a peaceful noncompliance aspect of things than there is from a politically active type of thing. Like I remember even somewhere in California was some beach, like everybody started going to the beach when it was the California was still like Nazi lockdown. And they, all these people started going to the beach, no mass, no whatever. Like we're going to the beach and like the town council, the head of the town council or whatever said, they've just decided they don't want to be governed this way anymore. And I'm like, that needs to be on TV 24 seven until it goes into people's heads. He admitted like, we don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We can't do this. The people decided no. So now it's no, even in California. And I think freedom cells can lead to a much broader version of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, I actually know the guy that was spearheading that movement. His name's David Rodriguez. He'll actually be the MC at the next land summit, which oh, cool. you'll be speaking at. So uh, he's a cool guy. They, yeah, they call him the voluntary. What do they call it? Voluntary bonfire, or whatever. And they're yeah. just like, we're opening up the beach. You close yeah. the beach. We're opening the beach, and they show <laughs> up. And it started with like six or eight people, but then it grew, and they just started a fire. And the cops would come, and they're like, hey man. And he always asks, like, are we harming anybody? He's one of these yeah. guys that's like, can you show me exactly who I've harmed? Or blah blah blah. And the cops, they're just like, yeah, this is kind of ridiculous too. And I think you're right. Like, you can go do the politics, but. Even though as, you know, as libertarian folks, like we don't think this is the case in some instances, 
when there's so much noncompliance and it's so unpopular, the government does have to respond. And now it's not that way in some like hardcore authoritarian regimes. But let's not forget, we complain about all day about the United States government, even the state of Texas. But like we should all be blessed that we can even have conversations like this. You know, maybe it'll be pulled. That's why I said shot and <laughs> pulled from YouTube. But whatever. Yeah, it you know, we can have big giant. Me- I remember you did one of your workshops that I came to and it was like the height of covid. Yes. And there were like 90 people there and we're yes. all mixing it up, hanging out, buddy, buddy, drinking whiskey and like having a blast. And there wasn't any cops that showed up. And I think it's just important to have people show others like we did a Freedom Cell meetup. In fact, I kind of we had the Freedom Central Texas Freedom Cell community, but it's kind of dormant. There wasn't a lot going on. And it was COVID that I was like, wow, you know, this this idea that I came up with, Derek Bros helped to really blow it up and turn it into this actual network. Um, because there was like disparate groups here and there back in the day. I, I came up with the idea 2014, 2015, and it, and I shared it with him. He resonated with it and he started, they created the web, the first website. But like after 2020, when the COVID stuff popped up, I was like, whoa, this, this is why the Freedom Cell Network is really important. And we hosted our first Freedom Cell, Central Texas Freedom Cell meeting. And this was at the height of the lockdowns. People were scared. There was a guy at the meeting too that was like, I'd like to, uh, and he like tried to speak out against me and it was this big scene, but everyone was like, what are you doing, dude? And he's like, <laughs> we don't want to put the person at risk that's hosting the meeting. And I I think we should do it elsewhere. She's built this beautiful thing. And he like got yeah. all intense with me. And I was like, whoa, man, I think, first of all, you should just take a few deep breaths here. But yeah. there was all this fear. And in all reality, we were just getting together, hanging out. Nothing ever came of it. Yeah. And so just the same walking around without the mask, showing up and hosting a meeting, putting on an event or a workshop, people just need to see like, oh, OK, there's people that are living free and nothing's happening to them. And I have a feeling something that's coming up for me when you're sharing that is there's probably more instances besides defined lockdowns or mask mandates that we can disobey uh, and nothing will happen. Same thing with the crypto, right? Like. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you purchase crypto on an exchange and you sign and you show your driver's license, then you probably want to check the box and claim that and, and do yes. your due diligence. Right. That's just strategically sound. But if you know, if if you're at the workshop or the meetup and someone's like, hey, I got 500 bucks worth of crypto to sell, you hand them over dollars or yes. gold or silver and they send it to your private non-custodial wallet. And people are like, well, they're going to find it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, they're so overwhelmed. We like convey this air of omnipotence upon them and i think that's a big error that the freedom and conspiracy community always does they always got to figure it out they're going to take our land klaus schwab said we'll own nothing we never will they're going to shut down the internet blah 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 and i think again because i i study human psychology as part of what i do with activism and marketing and sales and it's like i think there's a deeper rooted objection that you may not even be conscious of here you missed yeah. out on Bitcoin, so now you're making excuses. You were bullied in high school, and you are embarrassed when people – you think you're all subconscious. People are looking at me weird or whatever. You don't want to go to the Freedom Cell meetup, and now you're making these excuses so you can sleep at night when in all reality, there's a lot of hardcore stuff going on, and we could paint it clear, and we could focus on the beauty and the freedom and us getting together. But in all reality, there's the world's going to hell, and it seems yes, it to is. be accelerating. So – we're creating these opportunities for people to get together. So let's set aside any anxiety. Let's set aside all these objections of what could happen. And let's recognize that it's working right now. Nobody's being mass arrested. And a lot of people are finding a community 
Some people are finding folks that they feel closer to than their family. Yes. And it all just has to do with people just letting go of all that fear, getting together and let's build something because our future gener the future generations, our children, grandchildren and people that aren't even born yet are counting on us to do something because if we don't, they're going to wake up and they're going to be digital ID'd. You already wake up with social security numbers when they're born. They're going to have the 15 minute city they're born into. The vaccine passport will be like you can't travel outside of this region unless you have the carbon credits to do so. Like that's where this is going. And uh, it's up to us to stop it. We're the people we've been waiting for. Yeah, you know, and there is something to to be said for the strength in numbers concept. So I'm going to go back in time. I don't know if you were born yet. You're a bit younger than me, mid 80s uh, in, in rural Pennsylvania. There was a place. I don't know how it got the name. We called it Blackwood. It was just a bunch of old coal company land that had roads and stuff on it and big mountains and giant hills and stuff and Nobody really knew who owned it because the coal company sold it to another coal company, to another coal company, shadow corpse to avoid taxes and fines for all the damage they did. So everybody hunted, fished, and hung out out there, and that was a little piece of anarchy. But the big anarchy was once a year, in the middle of the summer, we had a thing called the Blackwood Buggy Festival. And there would be an estimated – no one knew. There was no feed again in or anything. This was self-organized, right? But it was somewhere in the neighborhood of forty to 60,000 people for a week camping out in all different places out in this place. And, you know, like there's the, the big thing was the dune buggies and the dirt buggies and all that and motorcycles. That's what made it the buggy fest. And with a regular car, you could kind of get to the edge of where everything was, but you really needed a pickup with some four wheel drive to really get back into where everything was. And this was well known as a place where young, you know, below, you know, miners were out drinking, people were smoking pot. Now it was eighties pot. It wasn't, 2020s pot but you know it was like all kinds of uh debauchery going on but no one ever really got hurt once in a while somebody get injured but it would be like a wreck or something it wasn't like it went really well for what it was and we had one cop in the entire township this guy jack harley and so the state got on him one year and said hey you need to do something about this and he's like yeah go get fucked right because i'm not doing this because i have to live with these people i have to police half a county by myself I'm not doing it. So state police is like, we'll send some officers out there to sort this out. So about halfway into it, and everybody's talking about the stadies are going to come. So they had the big cherry, you know, one uh, sire, one one klaxon uh, on the thing of the car. So you see two of these cars, like, barely, like, dragging bottom, knocking their freaking mufflers off, and they come up over the ridge to where, like, this is, like, 10% of the whole thing. They pull up over the ridge, and they look. And we all, everyone's like, it's the Stadies, right? So we start clapping because the Stadies are here. And there's probably just in that kind of depression, 5,000 people. And there's people all up in the woods. I mean, this is like a nightmare if you're a cop and you go into this thing and it goes wrong. They sit there for like a couple minutes and then you see them back up <laughs> and they just left. And we never saw them again. Yeah. What are you going to do? You have 40,000 plus people minding their own business, not bothering you. And two cops are going to go out there and shut it down in the woods at night, in the dark, in a place with deep stripping holes and old abandoned mines. Probably a bad idea. And so if if they couldn't shut down a buggy festival in the middle of the 80s with 40,000 people on it, what are you going to do if you build a network of millions of people who are just like, no, we're not doing this? Yeah. 
there's not anything they, they, they can do really. And we just built, you know, Larkin Rose uh, has a lot of stuff about authority. And it's like this authority that we project onto them, but they don't have the authority unless we give it to them. But then we got to get practical because yeah. it's easy to talk about this stuff. But then it's like, all right, well, like you were saying earlier, you know, you have a mortgage. I, too, have a mortgage. Um, I accept credit cards for my company and I haven't been able to figure out a solution where I could take the credit card and not have it be deposited into a bank. Uh, you know, I, I, in an ideal world, people would have taken our advice years ago and that they learned how to use crypto and they pay with crypto and I, we pay staff and everything with crypto, but we're not there yet. So we're looking for the pioneers to help build this world. Because there's no reason why we can't have it. It's just going to take a lot of work. But more so than the work, it's going to take us believing in the ability and our ability to make it happen. And I think that's important. Um, and then back to like the practical nature, like literally I've, I've obsessed over this, I don't know, for probably like 15 years. It's like, how do we get from here to there? I grew tired of the philosophy and still like on Twitter, you see like the actual libertarian, capital L libertarians, like libertarian party members and Ludwig von the LP Mises caucus. And like they just spend all their time in some circle jerk intellectual debate. Like who gives a damn about the nuances of this or that? The real world. And they argue more with each other than they do with the people they're supposed to be fighting. Like they put a hundred times more effort into arguing over like a party platform one sentence. Yeah. Then, hey, you know what? We're all getting fucked. Why don't we do something about it? Yep. Yep. And what are we going to do? And but they're like, well, let's run for office and get like point oh five percent of the election. We're happy when we get four percent. Whatever. Man, if we can get 10 percent, we'll get federal election funds or whatever. Maintain ballot access. That's Libertarian Party of Texas. We get these victory emails. We got enough votes to maintain ballot access. And it's just like all this self-importance, I think, is really what it is. They just. They couldn't cut it in the Republican Party, so they, they're actually able to be the, the representative in the Libertarian Party. Anyway, no offense to Libertarian Party folks. Um, so it's like practically speaking, what do we do? What, what do we do to get there? How do we get from here to there? And we got to understand it's going to take time. Yeah. It's going to take generations to get to the true freedom. And unfortunately, a lot of people – a lot of people in general, the plebs, the people, not the predator class, the productive class, you know, it's hard to make ends meet for a lot of folks. And um, a lot of people just are focused on the present moment. How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to pull the money for rent together? The daughter's got the dance competition we got to prepare for. And it's hard to think big picture, like what actions can I take today to set me and my family up for next year? And then even more importantly, how are these bigger plans that I have for the next year going to feed into my big picture plan? So we're going to be relaunching our membership soon. And I haven't shared this, but I think one of the concepts I'm going to be I'm going to throw out there is like join the membership and we'll help you to craft your 2030 plan. They have a plan for 2030 for you. And if you don't have a plan, chances are you're going to be playing into their plan. So it's like. Let's come up with our own individual plans, but then through the Freedom Cell Network, these plans can overlap. And ultimately, we need to focus on leverage, like you said, the pressure points, the weak points. And and just a quick exercise people could do that really I think is helpful is like you do like a self-assessment. What areas of my life am I most dependent on the system, the centralized big tech, the banks, the grocery store, the pharmaceutical industrial complex? 
and what action can I take today to slowly but surely become less dependent? And then you join the Freedom Cell Network. So you do those exercises on your own, but then you join the Freedom Cell Network or spur activity in your area if there's not a lot going on. And then you're like, hey, you know, I've currently been working on this crypto thing. I understand that you've been involved in crypto for the past six years. Do you think you could help me out? And they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. I see that you got you got two and a half acres and some some pigs and some some gardens going on. Maybe you could help me out. And that's really what it's all all about. And and the idea is slowly but surely, you know, if you think about the game theory, imagine two, five, ten years down the road, there's hundreds of thousands or millions of us. And we've practically decoupled ourselves from their system almost entirely. Like, sure, we use the roads. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we're still paying the property tax here and there or whatever. I don't know what that looks like. But the idea is maybe we have the ability to now send a delegate or maybe we elect somebody. Who knows? Maybe it's just a representative or whatever, a delegate. Uh, I, I think of it as a uh, what do you call the representatives from our country that go to the other country? Uh, a the, diplomat. A uh, diplomat. Ambassador. We send an ambassador for our freedom community, our freedom nation. And we're like, hey, you know, we just want to come to the negotiating table to see what the peaceful transition of political autonomy and self-government looks for the self-governance looks looks like for our community. There's about uh, 18,000 of us in this small county and uh, we don't involve ourselves with your system at all. We do use the roads, however, so we're willing to make some concessions there. Sure. We'd like to help, but you guys aren't doing a good job of maintaining the roads anyway no. in these backcountry roads. No. But so it's no, like what none of our freaking income tax goes for that anyway. So no, bullshit. It's the debt like, right. and the freaking yeah. war. It's a fugazi. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I foresee. Like, but it, it all starts with getting people together and beginning that decoupling. And then one objection too, because I don't know if someone brought it up in the comments, but you raised it. Like, what if I get put on a list? The other big objection we find is someone will go on our website. We've created a map. And again, don't put your address, but you put like an address of the park down the street or a coffee shop you could meet someone at or the local pub. And then you can actually see in your area like, oh, wow, there's three other people here. There's 10 people. There's 60 people in a certain in a more densely populated area. But maybe some of those people signed up a few years ago and they're no longer active. So one of the big objections we get is like, I went to the website. I joined but there's nothing going on in my area. And then they like point the finger at us for not developing a community in their particular area. So what we're trying to do Hill, Idaho or something like that's your <laughs> yeah. individual responsibility. Yeah. And that's one of the sure things that challenge. signs up has six people waiting for them within 20 miles of their house. Like I'm sure you would love it to be that active, but somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to take initiative. Right. Somebody's got to take the lead. But yep. but on that, could you maybe talk about how participating in the network might help somebody with their goals? Because you mentioned something that I always try to, like, at least once a week consciously think about this. You know, they're only worried about paying their next bill. Yep. And I can also go, I remember when that was me. I remember when if you would have brought this to me, I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I agree with you. But... I make about $10 a week more than I need to exist. So I don't have time. But I think that if you get people involved, we can help them reach their goals. And some of that part of that goal is to get yourself out of that trap, whether it's become wealthy or it's, you know, change your lifestyle that you don't need much money, whatever you want to do. 
But can you talk about maybe how we can help people reach those goals so that they can be more active? Because it's easy for me and you. Like if somebody contacts me tomorrow and says, hey, I want you to be part of this thing, and it's something I find worthy, and it's two weeks out, sometimes I'll say no. But if I really want to do it, I'll just be like, okay, guys, I'm gone. And my life goes on. I can pay my mortgage. I don't care. But then when you see, you know, Steve or Bill or Tom or Tracy working their ass off and they're like, I literally have no time. How can that person begin to excavate themselves from that that antlion trap like we talked about earlier, basically? Yeah. Um, just first one quick response that comes up is like, uh, do you really have really don't have enough time? Tracy or whoever we're talking to, yeah. like, how many episodes of Netflix did you watch last week? How much time did you spend at happy hour with your friends after work? You know, like we all, I always think about Elon Musk, love him or hate him. The dude's got yeah. the same time that I do. And look what he manages to accomplish. Whether you think it's part of the new world order or not, the dude is advancing the ball down the field. So that's one thing just for people to become conscious of how they actually are spending their time. Um, but yeah, when you get together with other people, we encourage a lot of skill sharing. And so, you know, there's meetings and that's one of the things we'll do in the challenge. It'll be like how to join the network, how to find people in your area. If there's not people in your area, how do you go out and meet people online or at meetups or at the farmer's market? And then it's like, once you have a group of people, what do you do? Well, you get together for a meeting, but these aren't meetings where we just want to hear ourselves. The meetings are all action oriented. And you get together and you just start exploring. Like I would encourage people to do that exercise I just shared, but as a group. Hey, let's let's share as a group. Like who here is advanced in this area? You know, who here gets almost all of their food for their family from the grocery store? And, you know, even in our community, most people will raise their hand. I'll raise my hand. I get most of my food for the grocery store. We're doing pretty good on the beef and the meat, though. We do that. Mm -hmm. We get that from local ranchers and we pay with Bitcoin when we can. Um, and so some people will be like, well, you know, I don't have any gardening things going on. Somebody will raise their hand and be like, yeah, you know, it's not most of our food, but we got a pretty significant garden here and we're connected with this rancher over here. And then that starts a conversation. Okay, great. What, how did you do that? Can you link us up with the rancher? Like we held the central Texas meetup whenever there was a lot of food shortage, dis supply chain disruption talk after the COVID stuff finally caught up with the market. And, um, we're, the whole meeting was like, okay, let's put together a list. And then again, people are like, no, we shouldn't put these companies on a list. It's like, give me a break. There's nothing to be afraid of. Let's give them our business and let's yeah. build some resilient communities here. But we literally was like, do you know a rancher or a farmer in your area? Ideally, they're freedom minded. They don't have to be. And we came up with this list and we shared it with our group on Telegram. And then the next thing we did was like, who doesn't have a garden at all? And they're doing no food production of their own. Me, me, me. OK, let's try to plan to go help these guys out. Right. Yeah. So being around people that are more advanced in where your weakness is, it definitely helps. And the whole thing is oriented towards because, you know, arguably uh, Derek. He does the conscious resistance. Great guy. Very spiritual, mindful. And myself, I'm like all jacked up and obsessed with self-development. We're the people that have attracted the most folks to the network. And so like attracts like there's a mindset of and, and we try to make a safe container. Like we have when you when you join the website, for example, you sign this pledge and it says we'll I'll adhere to the five freedom cell principles. That's apolitical. I would choose post-political, but it's like, this isn't about politics. It's not about restore the Constitution. It's not about we need to vote for this guy over that guy or even sign my petition. It's like, no, this is post-political activism. How are we going to do this on our own? We make a commitment to nonviolence. 
Although self-defense, you know, there's nothing wrong with self-defense, but we're not going to initiate violence. This isn't a violent movement to go overthrow this or, or take that out or whatever. Uh, it's decentralized, meaning there's nobody that has authority over anyone else, even though there's like leaders and activators and facilitators. It's like people can just take the idea and run with it as long as you adhere to these principles. It's local, hyper local. Um, we're encouraging people to meet in real life. It's a global network, but the action takes place in person. And then the final piece, I forget the final piece, but anyway, um, there's a, there's an ethos. So it's like you're joining we're and we try to bring people into the into alignment with what it was getting stuff done. So if somebody's kind of lost, if they're frustrated, if they feel like I, I, I got this dead end job, I barely have time to make ends meet and I'm struggling. And I recognize my comment earlier. Some people are like single parents or they're in a mountain of debt and they literally do have no time. And I applaud those people that are working their ass off to lift themselves up out of a, a desperate situation. But it's like you get around folks that have their act together, like come into your place for the workshop. Yeah. It's like, damn, look what. And my takeaway was like, dang, a lot of this stuff Jack like figured out on his own. It's taken time. But this is the result of years of development of this property. Like, wow. So a lot of people are alone. They woke up after covid and all they're spending their time on is the computer. You go out and you meet with some people that are advanced and that are getting stuff done. And it's just extremely inspiring. So. It definitely helps a lot to to encourage people to get their act together and then help each other to do so. I would agree with that. And I would also I want to throw one caution in here because I want to start digging into the event that you're you're putting together and, and what yep. that will do for people. But whenever these talks of groups come up, the one thing that I'm I'm far more worried about within these groups than oh, we're gonna be on a list. I don't give again, I don't give a damn. I will what list do you want me on? I'll sign up for it. Right. I mean, that's, that's how I feel like I'll, I'll add my own name to the list, whatever you want to do. As long as I don't go on no fly, I don't care. Right. Whatever you want to do. Uh, I've got 3,400 episodes of being a renegade. There's nothing left for me yeah. to hide. Um, Look at the flag but, behind your back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, you know, and, and, and there was the one with the, the snake and the skull on it before that. So it is what it is. However, I'm not a massive fan of Alex Jones, but I do appreciate some of the things that he's really brought to light. And no matter who it is, sometimes they'll say something. You're like, that is so dead on. You can never forget it. I don't remember one. Well, I was probably driving around in a truck or something and listening to him on AM radio. And he said something to the effect, if, if somebody joins your group or gets involved with what you're doing and they start talking about getting a bunch of guns and doing some shit that they shouldn't be doing, if they start talking like that, they start talking about violence, you either have an idiot a fed or both. And you don't want any of those three options involved in your group. So, and this is not a freedom cells thing, guys, this is anything that you get involved with or put together. When you get someone that shows up and they start talking like a Timothy McVeigh or something like that, that person needs to be 86, the hell out of your AO immediately. Because again, Jones was right. That person's either a moron, right? And that's not what this is about or they're a Fed asset, or they're a moron that's a Fed asset, which is actually, I would say, of the three, if you made me bet, and that was all the information I had, they're number three. They're a moron that's a Fed asset. Um, or the, these entire groups that I believe are Fed assets, like Patriot Front, I don't think a single one of those people is is actually what they, they – you know, wearing khakis 
as your, your and a mask. uniform. Right? Like, always oh, mask yeah, yeah, right. And your 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 ascot mask or whatever. Like, come on, I, I don't buy that for a minute. So just be aware that that kind of crap's out there. And I think that's a lot bigger of a deal than being, you know, stuck on a list or whatever. Yeah, and I'm with you. Um, recently in the Central Texas Freedom Cell Telegram group. And these groups are like public groups. And I always encourage people like just treat it as though it's the town square and we're meeting, you know, and talking shop at, at the town square. There's people walking around us, whatever. Yeah. Somebody comes in and they're like, hey, you know, I was I wanted to see about organizing militia. And, and I'm, in, I'm in the militia. We should organize a militia. And they use the M word. They didn't even yeah. say like, hey, do you guys want to go practice shooting guns and yeah, learn yeah, yeah. tactics or something? And I immediately nipped it in the butt and it was like, hey, man, you know, by all means, more power to folks that want to do the militia thing. It's not my cup of tea. You're going to end yourself up in some pretty big trouble probably nowadays. Uh, but I just nipped it in the butt and they're like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, this isn't the forum for it. Like, if you're going to do that, go do it over there. You can still be part of our community, but, yeah, we're but not go make your own militia group somewhere. We're else, not paramilitary right? kind of thing that that. But to say, like, we do encourage firearms ownership and use learning to use those firearms ownership in defense of yourself, your family and your community if need be. But it's not an offensive thing. It's not a direct thing. And, and Alex Jones was right. And there's tells. You know, doing the activism and community events and politics and stuff, especially coming from the conspiratorial world, which is I came from the Alex Jones world. And there's still a lot of people that have been listening the whole damn time and they're all nutted out and everything's a conspiracy. I tripped and stubbed my toe the other day. It was a conspiracy from the World Economic Forum. Everybody's controlled opposition. That's another thing that annoys the hell out of me. The libertarians are arguing about what to put in the plank, and then all the conspiracy guys are arguing about who's controlled opposition. Meanwhile, they're getting nothing done. But, uh, yeah, if somebody's talking about violence, if somebody's talking like just obsessively talking about guns, not in just like, hey, guys, what yeah. do you think is a good firearm for concealed carry? Right. Um, then that's a big tell. And that person should be isolated. And if they keep it up, removed from the group. Uh, another big problem that people have, and I would say is more common than that is people that haven't done their inner work. And so inevitably, if we get a group together, we're meeting regularly, or maybe even just in one meeting, there's going to be somebody that, you know, is a bit of an a-hole. And we encourage people to work with the person to communicate, hey, you know, the way that you're communicating, you had a few too many drinks. That's not what this is about. We like to unload and let loose, but you're kind of being a bit abrasive with these people here, blah, blah, blah. Um, that, I think, is a big worry, too, especially if you're going to be more intimate in like your inner group. So I would always encourage people first to do the work themselves. But then if there's somebody that's just obviously disrupting and it's clear they don't take constructive feedback, they haven't they've maybe had trauma in their lives and now they're projecting it onto everybody in the organization or the group. They're going to railroad things and they should be pushed out, too. Um, so we try to, like, bring to the group a consciousness, you know, like a lot of people have been doing it for a while. And even if they haven't, the people that are encouraging it and kind of leading the way, I'm aware of all that stuff. Right. Like you've been doing this for a long time. You've had people over at your place and you've had meetings and stuff. It's like we know what to look out for. And we're teaching other people to look out for those tells and how to handle those tells. So going into these networking meetings and such, people already have a, a level of awareness instead of the young activists that are doing it for the first time. Um the fourth, the fifth piece, I just pulled it up. It's uh, solutions focused. So we're apolitical, decentralized, peaceful and nonviolent, emphasis on local, and it's solutions focused. We can talk about the problem, but in the, in, in the, the idea of like, what are we going to do about it? Not just endlessly posting the latest article from Infowars, for example, but we're going to teach folks in the challenge 
how to navigate all of this stuff because a lot of people haven't done this kind of thing before. But uh, I think they'll be surprised to find that most of the folks that are involved in the network are really pretty cool people to hang out with and be around. And I'll just say before we move on, like, there won't always be this obvious, <laughs> but sometimes there'll be this obvious. And I'm not going to explain what that means for the majority of people who are on audio only for this podcast, but they just they will not always be that obvious, guys. And the fact that they were ever that obvious tells you that they're <laughs> there. Um, let's start. talking. What what exactly is the Freedom Cell Challenge and how is it going to work? Yeah, so folks can sign up, uh, livefree.academy slash TSP, livefree.academy slash TSP. I think I have livefree.academy slash TSP and TSPC, just in case there's ever any confusion. But it's taking place February 19th through the 23rd. It's a five-day challenge. So this is something I'm immersed in the marketing world, all these marketing folks and health challenges, right? And it's a five-day thing but I'm bringing it to the freedom world. So last year, earlier this year in February, we did the CBDC opt-out challenge. Now we're doing the freedom cell challenge. So it'll be five days, totally free to sign up and we'll take you through the motions and the actions of how to get involved with the network, how to join the website, how to tap into the telegram groups. And then we'll teach you how to identify people in your area that might want to join. So some people are going to join the site and there's going to be five or six, maybe 20 or 30 people. Maybe half of them are active, maybe all of them, maybe few of them. Some people are going to join and there's going to be nobody. So we'll teach you no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, how to go and activate people to come participate, how to host a meeting, how to find common goals. We'll provide like some templates on, let's say, the group. It really wants to focus on creating a counter economy, trade networks amongst themselves. I'll teach you how to do that. Maybe they want to do food resiliency as a community. We'll teach you how to do that. A few other things as well. And then um, day five, we're going to get into some more advanced stuff, like how do we cooperate regionally? How can we make group, uh, group decisions? How can we pull our resources, make consensus-based decisions in order to deploy those resources? So a lot of people will get a ton of value. Ideally, you join live. We're going to be giving away prizes, too. Each day, we'll have homework. And then there'll be a group on the freedomcells.org website. We'll invite you to join so you can post your homework, take a picture or whatever, and then we'll reward some prizes to people that are participating. Uh, you'll be able to join live 11 a.m. to 1.30 approximately. Uh, 11 a.m. to 1.30 will go live every day. If you can't make it during those times, no worries. We'll have a replay window for people to watch, but you got to sign up to get access to that. And uh, I think it's going to be really beneficial. Oh, we're also going to kick off an initiative to grow the network from 40,000 people to 100,000 people. Now, when I say 40,000, that's how many people have registered since we sure. built a website a few years ago. Many of those people are dormant. But what I'm excited about is these will be 60,000 new people that we bring into the network that will be extremely active. So I'm expecting that we're going to experience some massive growth in the Freedom Cell Network. And we very much would like to have uh, your listeners, this whole community that you've built, be a part of it. Because like I said before, um, one thing I know about you and Nicole and that whole crew is like you guys focus on getting shit done. And that's exactly what we need in the Freedom Cell Network. Less talking, more action. Yeah, and I think that I, I'm really encouraged by the type of action that you're encouraging here. It is not let's go to Washington, and it's also <laughs> like let's not all pick up a, a stone, a stick, or a gun and start fighting back in the conventional fighting sense. Like to me, what I've always said is that the state has one real tool and only one real tool, and that tool is violence. 
everything that they do is predicated upon the fact that if you do not comply, eventually violence can be done to you. No matter how innocuous, no matter how benevolent, no matter how soft it seems, if it's don't let your dog shit on the sidewalk, the only thing that can actually enforce that from the state's level is violence and that will give you a ticket. If you don't pay the ticket, we'll throw you in jail and you can sit in jail for three days to pay your ticket. Right. And if you resist, we'll shoot you. We'll tase you. We'll have a dog bite you. Like all they have is violence. When some, like there's an old saying in, in hunting, beware the man who carries one gun because he damn sure knows how to use it. So when somebody has one tool, they become a master of that tool. So the state has become a master of violence. So when you take violence to the state, you're giving them exactly what they want, and you're you're going against a master swordsman, and there's a freaking gun right over there. But no, you pick a sword up, and you say, come on, master asshole, I'll take you out. And, and the guy doesn't even have to breathe to kill you. That's what people do when they go against the state with violence. What the state doesn't understand is cooperation. The state does not understand cooperation, voluntary governance. The state doesn't understand it. All the things that we do, because one of the objections I've been hearing piece part through the, 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 the chat here, John, is one level or another of as soon as you say mutual aid society, you create a welfare thing that everybody that wants things for free shows up for. That is not how freedom cells work. You are not going to be a parasite for long anyway in a freedom cell group. And that hasn't happened. We say mutual aid all the time. And it hasn't yeah. happened. It hasn't happened. It it everybody's just my, worked I, up. I'm just so yeah. frustrated by it. Like we're, No, we're, I get it, dude. I run my medical action program. And then no, it's all these excuses and like at least yeah. give me a good objection or a good excuse. Do you know what happened? Uh, what, like well, I run I really how I run my discount program for my members, right? So when I approach a new vendor, I inevitably get well what if what if what if somebody publishes it online? Well, I've been doing it for fifteen years. <laughs> and it's never happened. And if it does, you change the code. Yeah. And I'm the one that loses because I'm not asking you to give me a charity. I'm asking you to do incremental advertising. So I would be the one selling access. I'm the one that gets, you know, get, takes it, takes it hard in the shorts. You just get more business that should be profitable for you. And, yeah. but in the end, but it's never happened. Yeah. And, and so the fact that you don't have the problem and people bring it up, I do think like your Bitcoin analogy is good. My other one I say is good is like when people say like, I don't want to garden because when the shit hits the fan, everybody's going to steal my food. And you're just like, just say you don't want to garden. You don't want to do it. It's yeah. okay. Don't make up some nonsense. Yeah. And we try to, in the work I do at Live Free Academy, I try to cut through that because it's always like, what can we do to get people to act or it's like we're selling a workshop or a course. It's like, well, I, I think that this would benefit from you. If you pay for this course, then those that pay, pay attention. You're going to be more likely to implement that. That's what happens in my life. And it's always there's these surface level objections, but there's always a deeper rooted objection. And the role that we play as activators is to like, let's find out what that deeper level objection is. Let's bring it to the table and let's talk about it with the person. Yeah. So it's like yeah. if you're worried about freeloaders, you know, first of all, ha did you have like a brother-in-law that leaned on you in the past and you're really, really turned off by people that expect something from no work or, or not? You know, like what's really going on here? Maybe it's something yeah. else entirely. Uh, something that comes to mind is Tim Ferriss, four hour work week. He does this, um, this drill where it's like, uh, kind of meditate on what the worst thing that could happen is. And really when you put that on the table, 
So let's say somebody does show up as a freeloader. What's the worst that could happen? We're like, no, man, that's not what we're doing here. We all got to put in our work and get out what we put in. And then that's done, you know? Like, Hand him a shovel. He'll leave. <laughs> right? You don't even have to kick him out. Like, So today what we're doing is we're making compost. Here's your shovel. Let's go. <laughs> He'll run for the hill. <laughs> hey, uh, that's not for you to hold yourself up with. Come on, <laughs> let's go. And they'll yeah. leave. Like, you know, <laughs> this is not the problem that you think it is, guys. I, but I know what they mean. Like, if you do it very surface level, I do believe that can happen. Like, if it's just like a, a, a meetup where everybody meets at Denny's and eats pancakes once a month or something, it's not actually got any real direction or targeting, then, yeah, they just kind of hang out until they need some money. And they say, hey, man, I'm, I'm down on my luck. But when anybody else needs help, they don't have any. But that's not that's not what this is. This is active people being activated to a higher purpose. Yeah. And I try to, I got this expression I say, cause again, the thing that comes up over and over and over and over. And when you do this long enough, you start to see the same thing come up over and over is I went to the site. Nobody was there. Uh, therefore this whole thing's a bust. And so I always try to encourage, and they're like expecting us to do the work of organizing everywhere in the world. Like I'm organizing and doing a lot of work here in central Texas and in Bastrop County. And there's a lot of activity that's been spurred. And then just for example, we the, a, an older woman, one of our clients here at Live Free Academy, who's also part of the Bastrop Fayette County Freedom Cell, she just hosted a Bitcoin meetup. And there was half a dozen of us there. I came to show support and talk shop. And, uh, you know, people were like, somebody was like, thanks for the meeting, John. I was like, hey, man, I didn't, I didn't host the meeting. I came as an attendee. This wasn't my meeting. I'm just here to support the crew, right? Uh, so a lot of people expect us to do all the work. And so I like to say, ask not what the Freedom Cell Network can do for you, <laughs> but what you can do for the Freedom Cell Network. <laughs> right? Solid. Uh, it's the Solid. same kind of deal. And, and one, for one thing, I want to encourage people. There's the people that go to the website because we literally have a map. You put a pin. Again, don't put your home address for operational security. If you're really so concerned about being on a list, you can use fake names. You can go to protonmail.com and create an account right now. Sign up with that email address, right? Um, but people go to the website. They search their town, their region, their area. There's nobody in the area. And then they're like, all right, it's, there's nothing going on. I'm out. Yeah. But the thing is, there's been other people that did the same thing in your area. And when that first person stands up and is acts like a beacon or a lighthouse and they're like, ooh, ooh, there's a freedom person that wants to work on solutions, X and build type stuff. Then you may find that there's other people that are lying dormant, checking in on the website every once in a while. And all it takes is one person to create a cell or to put themselves out there, respond to messages, and hopefully people can get together and meet in real life. Because this is an idea whose time has come. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. We can hang out, you know, like I got we got our 10 acre homestead in the country. But I know there's a lot of our brothers and sisters that are living in San Francisco, living in European Union is totally foobard. Right. Yeah. So we need to do this, whether you're in the country, whether you're in the city, whether you're in the EU, connecting with like minded people and slowly but surely becoming more independent is the thing to do. And it's not just for the practical defense of the tyranny. But also, it feels good to get around with people that agree with you and that you could express yourself openly because so many people have lost family because they went over the top at Thanksgiving. These are people that get you. But more importantly, it's people that get you and they're ready to work. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, 
I, I also think there's ways to maybe find people and then bring them into the network that are more real world. And I always say with groups and, and, and things and fraternities and things like this, like lead with the relationship. So like one of the ideas I floated many times, it's very easy to do. Most people have a community center or a restaurant that has like a back room that can be rented for a very small amount of money or something. Give yourself three or four weeks of lead time to build it up. Use free things like Nextdoor to promote it. Pick something for a viewing and mm. a Q&A session afterward that has a common interest, but don't say everything about freedom cells or patriots or any of that shit, right? Like you take like uh, Jeff Lawton's Urban Permaculture is, is available on my channel. I made it available. It's free for everybody, right? And Jeff's cool with it because the guy that built it for him screwed him over, so there's no <laughs> copyright issues there. And you could say we're going to be doing a screening yeah. with a Q&A session afterward of this thing, bring chips, bring Coke, whatever you want to do. It's at the, you know, the, and if it's at something like a, a community center, or something that's very approachable for people, come hang out. It's, you know, six to seven thirty or something like that. Bring your kids, maybe hire the next door neighbor's 16 year old daughter to keep an eye on the kids so they don't kill each other with, you know, toys while it's going on. And then what do you get to do when you have that group together? Everybody, Hey, since we're here, Stand up. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And what do you what do you hope to get out of this? Right. Yeah. In that, you'll probably find one or two people that like you really mesh with, and then you can take that conversation up later. But I promise you, if you say we're doing a, a freedom cell assessment group at the community center, nobody's coming except for the 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 moron who is a Fed asset. Who wants to get in, right? But if you do it based on it's permaculture or regenerative agriculture or you know how to be prepared for the for tornado season, anything mm. that fits in that realm, uh, the solar incentives that are available, and I'm not a salesman and I have nothing to sell, that type of thing. There's all types of things that if somebody shows up for that, they have they may not be, but they have a very high probability of being kind of one of I guess our people, if you want to put it that way. You know, people are, and like when you say that, people are like, oh my god, what's that mean? I mean, they care about freedom, independence, and liberty, and self sufficiency, and self reliance. That's what I mean. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people, and they don't have to like, they don't have to know about the Great Reset or think nine eleven was an inside job or agree with everything, right? They could be a permaculture left leaning hippie type person. Yeah. They could be they could be a MAGA person, right? Like, there's a yeah. lot of overlap there, and they could still do their politics. We say the network is apolitical. But yeah. that doesn't mean you have to denounce your Republican Party membership, right? Do your thing. It's just that when we're in this container, we are keeping it apolitical. And you make a great point. I just took a note, too. Um, Marjorie Wildcraft gave a talk at Exxon Build Land Summit, too, about building community. And that's what they would do. They would rent out the local church, okay. host a, a speaker that would teach something. And then from there, you identify you know, who actually like gets it, who can be part of my cadre. So that's a great idea. And you're right, like Freedom Cell Network, they go to the website, maybe like this looks kind of weird, especially some people will go to the website and they'll be like, hell yeah, this is what I've been looking for. This is yeah. it sounds like agorism, like this is perfect. But yeah. a lot of people are like, ah, I don't know. So, yeah, have like a front and just get people together. And then those can be people that you build with, too, or you build a coalition with. And then you find your people, identify your people. Um, I saw somebody saying, you know, this can't be fixed in four years, maybe not eight and likely not ever. I don't know if they're talking about the elections or anything, but I, I just do want to throw out, too, like, I'm a very optimistic guy, 
And I genuinely believe that ultimately someday there will be humans that are experiencing real freedom, the freedom that we all dream about, but maybe not. And I'm comfortable with that because, you know, not to get all philosophical, but there's that expression where it's like it's not about the destination. It's about the journey, whether or not we're able to achieve our goal of a genuinely free society. It matters not to me because the relationships that I've built, the lifestyle that I have, even though I spend way too much time at the office, I want to spend more time at the homestead. But bringing you know, like we just hosted a birthday party for Ryan, who, who I met through the Freedom Cell Network. He's our vice president of sales. He lives on our property in an RV. We have a little mini intentional community. We just hosted a birthday party. We drank some whiskey. Uh, the wife cooked up some tacos. Some of the other people from our Freedom Cell Network came. His parents were there. We hosted it on our homestead. So like that that right there was something that was in part cultivated by the Freedom Cell Network. And it doesn't it wasn't some big success and we changed the world. But that's really what it's all about. Just enjoying life, becoming more independent, getting back to the land. We don't have to have some big victory. We probably won't even experience the victory if it ever happens within our lifetime. We're trying to set the stage so our kids, our grandkids and future generations have something to inherit that isn't a panopticon society. And that's what it's all about. Like, who cares if it, we really reach the destination? The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And I, for one, am, uh, am on board for the challenge. Well, you can either throw your hands up and say there's nothing that can be done, or you can look around you and say, what can I do? Like, th- that's in the end, we all have to come to that. What gives me hope, and so a few weeks ago, I did a show. It was a Bitcoin breakout episode. And I was talking about Bitcoin, but this analogy works for this, too. And I compared I said, basically, the people that are in the, the, the Bitcoin space right now are generation zero. We're not even generation one. Like, that's how young this really is. We're we're generation zero. And I just happened to be reading a Star Trek book because I read sci fi stuff at night to shut my brain off of business. And so I can sleep and not wake up going, I need to do this right? mm. and actually sleep through the night. And that's I was reading strategy. A, Right. I was reading this book on a concept in the, in the storyline. There was a generational starship like this planet was going to die. So they put all their resources. They build this ship that can hold like 50,000 people and they throw all the people on the ship and they point them at a star and hopefully there's a planet there. And this is going to take them like 400 years mm. in space. So it's generational in that the people that step on the new world, if it ever happens, will have been born in space. And would never know anything else. And the people that get on the ship aren't doing it to step foot on that world. They're doing it so somebody can, so that their descendants can. And would you get on the ship? And to me, when we look at things like we're talking about today, you need to look at it that way. Like, do you care enough about the great, great grandchild that will someday carry your name and your blood that you don't even know and you never will know? Do you care enough today to take steps for them? And if you'll do that, then along the way, some really badass, cool stuff's going to happen, right? Mm. Like, it's not like everybody on that ship was miserable. Like, they had a whole, like, it was like a little city floating through space, right? And and so there was still innovation going on. There were still people developing things. Like, people are like, well, we'll just... And then you had to train the next generation so that somebody knew how to keep the ship going when all the guys that knew how to keep it going, all the maintenance guys were dead. So out of your own population, you had to create this... And it was a really cool novel, honestly, for a Star Trek novel. And, but that's what we're talking about here. Cause if we're going to, like, I want to dig into some counter economy stuff before we wrap up. If we're going to have a counter economy, we have enough people involved to have a counter economy. 
Yeah. Right. You you can't have a counter economy like, well, what do you have? I have chickens and tomatoes. Yeah. So does everybody else. And I sell comfrey salve, right? Like every third person selling. And I don't, I don't fault people for taking that first step. If you're doing that, please don't take it the wrong way because somebody's going to take something like comfrey salve and build like a million dollar herbal business out of it eventually, right? But to have a counter economy, a functioning generational starship. Hmm. Then, then we have to all be doing things that have value, and we need to start understanding some of the things we do have value are in the conventional space. Like, it would be a good idea to have a lawyer in your network or your adjacent cell, right? A lawyer would be a good thing. We don't think of that as a tactical survivor prepper, prepper homesteading skill. But if you read Chapter 14 of the, the Permaculture Designer's Manual, the whole damn thing is legalistic. It's how hmm. to structure things so the state can't jack with you. That's what it is. It's a it's a it's a chapter dedicated to modern agorism is mm. and that's a piece of a permaculture design course. Right. So there is a place for the person that knows how to chew a horse, but there's a person that knows how to fix a car. Mm. Like reading, mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on counter economy and how that all fits into this? That's a critical piece. Um, you know, the thing with, with lawyers uh, are some people in our community are just so jaded and like their social skills are just so their social graces are lacking. Anytime a lawyer enters like one of our telegram groups, you got all these people pile on where it's like, you're part of the bar association. You're part of the problem. I represent myself and all this sovereign stuff pops up and it's like, bro, we got an attorney here. Maybe he'll even do some pro bono work. Like this is, this is what we need. Anyway. um, Yeah. The counter economy is critical. And you know, with, with live free Academy, we, you know, it's a business and we offer courses, workshops and events that that help aim to to help people along in this whole thing. All the stuff we're talking about we will like lend a hand and teach what I know. But I recognize that, like, it's based on what I'm passionate about and what we're already doing. But I'm kind of coming to realize that the two big things that we're offering are let's build the counter economy and the crypto piece is part of that. I'm also about the wealth, right? There's some people in our community that are like, no, it's not about earning money or making gains. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not minding the gains by any means. In fact, I just borrowed against some of my crypto today uh, to pay something uh, for our business because the price went up. And I was like, okay, I got some room here to borrow against some crypto on compound. That's all still working just fine. And I, I wouldn't do like a hundred thousand or, or do like a down payment for a house or buy a piece of land or something because that would be too risky. But anyway, I digress. So I, I recognize like what we're doing here is build the counter economy. How can we trade amongst ourselves? How can we fulfill our common wants and needs outside of the system in a way that they can't stop us? And then the other piece is like we need to be homesteading. We need to be able to feed ourselves and we need to get the hell out of the city. That's where you got the exit and build land summit stuff. And then you got all the crypto stuff and the counter economy stuff that we're doing. And I think those two pieces are are really fundamental for creating greater freedom in your lives. It's a defensive thing. So it's like, let's exit the CBDC system before it's created. Let's exit the tax cattle system, even in slowly but surely. Let's exit the surveillance system. Let's not use rely on PayPal or the bank account. I've had PayPal, Stripe, um, uh, Square, all that stuff shut down. Cash app. Thankfully, I still have Venmo. And then I even had my bank account shut down, a Texas bank, Frost Bank. I thought I was doing the right thing because it's a Texas bank, not Big Chase or Wells Fargo. They yeah. shut me down because I sell CBD and Kratom. And I told the the branch manager, I was like, you know, uh, 
this is exactly why I got into Bitcoin many years ago. And she, this yeah. is how she responded. She said, well, if we knew you were into Bitcoin, we would have shut your account down a lot sooner. <laughs> anyway, I went and found a bank that actually is okay with me selling all this stuff. And they're cool with the crypto stuff, too. That's why it's cool to work with people that get it, so to speak, or at least are tolerant of it. So it's like protect us, build the alternative. And in the defense avoiding the CBDCs, preparing for the CBDCs, there lies the offense. We need to be building this counter economy anyway. And I gave a talk recently and I was like, I'm grateful that they're pushing all this CBDC stuff now because it's lighting a fire under everyone's ass that they need to learn to trade amongst themselves and learn the crypto game. And then the same thing, the smart cities are coming down the pike. Like you were sharing earlier out in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, you got one cop. He lives down the road and they all grow to, grew up going to school and little Bobby's on the baseball team with his son and stuff. Like everybody knows each other. In the big cities, they import the cops from the surrounding towns or it's just some dude you, you don't know. They got all the pensions. They don't care about you. Yeah. There's a lot of tyranny yeah. in the city. So get out of the city, buy land, build community in the country. But, yeah, let's all start trading amongst ourselves to the best of our ability uh, ideally, we're shopping with freedom-owned businesses. A great place to start is with food. F nothing's more important than food, right? Like if we can't eat, we can't live. And food tends to be the easiest, right? Like our, our mutual friend, old Texas Slim, it's quite the character, that guy. Uh, the Beef Initiative, you know, that's really what it's all about. Identify local food producers that get it, that aren't going to inject the cattle with mRNA vaccines, they're local. They're good people. It's good regenerative agriculture practices. And let's give them our business. And the thing to be aware, and let's all just be real with ourselves, there's a balance between freedom, privacy, agorism, counter economy and convenience. And so I still use Amazon all the time. Right. Uh, they deliver it to the freaking door. They deliver it to the mailbox. And it's super convenient, super affordable. But there's certain things where I'm like, this is something I know my friend or somebody within my local community has to offer. I'm going to go ahead and give them my business. And then when you're in a better financial position too, like you don't have to shop based on what the lowest price is. You could shop with your values as well. And I think that's really what it's all about. And those of us that have some business savvy, we should help folks. Nicole's great about that. It's a whole part of her whole niche is like, I'm going to help you to make more money. Uh, let's go. Let me teach you how to do a business. Right. And we're all learning as we go. But that's where the strength in numbers thing comes in again. So the counter economy is absolutely critical. Uh, the CBDC things, I do believe they will be implemented. You know, Trump made a comment about it. Apparently it's in influenced by Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, we can't rely on politicians to do the right thing. We can't just that's the challenge with politics, too. And this whole yeah. thing, it's like hopium, like, oh, that's. Trump's got us taken care of. We don't have to do the hard work of building the counter economy. Um, but of course, we saw what he did with Operation Warp Speed, jacking up the debt, all sorts of nonsense. So I do believe that the CBDCs will be implemented. I don't know what interaction I'll have with the CBDCs. To be practical, I have a mortgage. If if they make me pay the mortgage in CBDCs, then you know I'll use CBDCs. I don't want to give up this house. I have all this equity in. But at the same time, that's why I teach the inside-outside game. You don't have to pull everything out of the system right now. You don't have to leave your corporate job, empty your bank account, stop paying taxes. But you do need to start living a little bit in the outside because there could come a time where myself and anyone else that has a mortgage or Social Security payments or an IRA where we're faced with a difficult decision. It's not just digital money now that's surveilled. That's what most of the money is now anyway. I pay my mortgage from my bank account. That's all surveilled, right? 
But now they're like, in order to use this money system, you have to be up to date on your shots and you have to be compliant and self-reporting on our carbon app. And if you don't do that, then we're going to shut you out of the economy. So I don't want anyone in our community to have not done any prep work, growing your own food, meeting the local community, learning to use alternative currency so we can still do business online because we may be faced with a difficult decision where we either comply take the shot, do whatever they want and stay within the system. Or we're like, I'm so glad I've been following John and Jack and all these people that got these ideas and, and they're teaching me to do stuff because now I feel comfortable making the decision to fully exit because I was basically forced to. And the counter economy is a huge piece of that. We got to do the legwork for ourselves. But if you want to go bigger, like you did, like there's this indigenous practice where it's like, Think about how your actions or your lack of action today affects the future seven generations to come. And doing this work of, of building the counter economy now so future generations can inherit it, we really are doing a major service for uh, the folks that are yet to be born. And on the same token, let us thank our ancestors that came before us that got us to this point. we got to carry the torch. We can't just lounge out on the couch watching Netflix all day, although a little Netflix never hurt nobody. I'm watching that yep. show in Montana. What is it? Uh, Yellowstone right now with Kevin Costner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty damn yeah. good. They're gangsters, man. But uh, yeah, they're it, it, it's totally, it's cowboy gangsters. That's, that's yeah. what that whole thing is. You know, I am not opposed to global trade. I'm opposed to globalism. I'm not afraid, uh, opposed to the market. Like you mentioned my stuff on Amazon. Like this was my item of the day yesterday. It's a little cup and you buy a hundred of them for 20 bucks and they're for starting plants for your garden. It's a mass-produced item. It should come out of the mass-produced economy. That, that's what that does. But I'd rather get my steak from a guy that grew the cow a mile and a half down the road from me mm -hmm. if, if I can. And I think that we have to silo those things. Um, as we get ready to wrap up, though, um, real quick to everybody out there, I only have three people queued up for Q&A. If you have a question, consider John and I your bartenders, and it's last call. And so it's time to post that question. Uh, best way to do that is with the word question in all caps, followed by your question. And those of you over there on Rumble, except my one spammer that I just had to ban, ban. Uh, you guys can ask questions too. You don't come into my back office, but I've got another screen over here. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not spacing out while John's talking. I'm engaged with both sides of the audience. If you have a question for us on Rumble, go ahead and post that now. And uh, we'll start digging into some of these uh, questions, John. Um this is this was right at the beginning before we even started talking. I just thought it was interesting. Um, Builder of Castles says, "Do you think that owning chickens will become so important, right up there with the Second Amendment, and regulated so tightly that we have a gun and chicken feed store?" Uh, I don't know, man. The chicken does. It is one of the. Here's the thing about the chicken: like you go to the poorest places in the world, and running around outside of people's huts. Or chickens. And there's a reason. They're not pets. What chickens think, are great. Bob? I'm all in on chickens. They're way easier to raise for food than uh, growing vegetables, in my opinion. We, we've struck out many seasons on the gardening. Some stuff will grow, right? The, the, yeah. the greens are easy to grow. Okra is easy to grow in Texas. The tomatoes always find a way to pop up. But yeah. uh, the, the chickens, you just got to keep them alive from predators. That's the biggest challenge. Um, other than that, they're very easy. So I don't think, you know, in all honesty, in places like Texas, I don't think everything's going to get all crazy where the chickens are outlawed and stuff. There's just no political will for that. But, 
you know, places like San Francisco, New York, European Union, you know, they're all weird about the cow farts and stuff. Who knows how bad putting things farmers out of business? Putting farmers. Oh, yeah, that's what happened recently. But yeah, they're like they're fighting to be able to spray pesticides is one of the things. And so apparently they're like, yeah, we'll let you spray the pesticides. Not to say that we should just like that put all the farmers out of business. That would jack up. Unfortunately, that's the food supply for the nations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still, when you d- dig a little bit deeper, they're not pushing for regenerative agriculture practices. But, of course, no. solidarity with the farmers that are standing up to this World Economic Forum nonsense. The one thing I don't think you will see is them intentionally create he- heavy food shortages. And it's not because they're nice guys that wouldn't kill you. That's not what it is. It's history. Don't think for one minute these people are hyper competent, but also don't think that they're stupid. John hit on the hyper comp- competence earlier where like we we're afraid of them because we think they can do anything. They can't, but they aren't dumb. And history has shown that there is one thing that makes political leaders hang along a street by their neck and dangle to their death. And it's when people starve, mm. when people starve, then congressmen, uh, Roman senators going all the way back to the dawn of the state get yanked out of their comfort little buildings and they dangle from something or they get you know put up on a pike or something. Like That is historically when people starve, countries collapse and governments that are in charge are no longer in charge. So unless that's the transition plan, you're probably not going to see full starvation. What I think they want is sick, compliant, and dying at a very slow rate. Mm-hmm. So they can make lots of money with their pharmaceutical companies. They want all commodity crops because then you can parcel it out. You can control it. You can store it. You can tax it. The first money in the world that we think of as like script were grain bills in Egypt and Samaria. Mm-hmm. And then they figured out how to lie and say, Hey, sire, we can, we can issue more bills than we actually have grain for because they never get all called in at once. And, 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 and until they do, and then the scribe gets his head cut off and the emperor gets killed or the king or the pharaoh gets killed. Like, you don't starve the peasants without creating a peasant revolt. It is the the one thing that historically has always resulted in tyrants dying. And because the soldier will turn, right? Even if you're feeding your army, when your soldier looks over and his mom is starving, they turn straight around. Every single time. So don't oversweat that, guys. Um, this one from Oklahoma Chicken Cam. Unfortunately, the time is, isn't available for everyone. Would I be able to watch it after the fact? They're talking about your um, your freedom cell challenge. Like, is there going to be – usually you have like a week or two where people can still catch it. Yeah, we're going to open it up for replay window. For the CBDC opt-out, we did like 24 hours for each okay. day. We may open this one up more. This one's more of a community service type deal as well. Um, so, yeah, just sign up, and then we'll follow up with the replays if you can't make it live. Okay, but there'll be some version of a replay. I mean, There'll definitely be opportunity. If people really want to watch it, there'll be plenty of opportunity to watch it. Great. Uh, same question, different person. Mm-hmm. So let's move on from that one. How's your solar wall and Tesla car playing together? Is your total cost of driving included maintenance up or down? Okay, so yeah, we have a 11.2 kilowatt solar system and three Tesla power walls, uh, which are the batteries. The power walls will store 39 approximately kilowatt hours of electricity. 
So if we didn't have the cars, then everything's like could be totally self-sufficient in the, you know, the, there's cloudy day or a storm for a while or adverse weather conditions. We could power our home and everything for, you know, a good two or three days. We're con- we would be conserving in those situations. But charging the Teslas takes a whole lot of electricity. So in that regard, because we have two Teslas now, big fan of Tesla. I'm a fan of Elon a lot. He inspires me, but I think he's been captured by Israel based on some of his actions. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I was like, he's a maverick. A lot of the stuff that he's doing makes sense because he's trying to get humans to Mars. So he's playing nice with the Department of Defense, blah, blah, blah. I can explain that. But the whole Israel thing took me for a little. Anyway, I digress. But uh, the cool thing about the power walls, because they have this Tesla controller that you can actually tap into on your phone. Um, I need it's on my wife's phone. It's disabled on mine. But you can go to the Tesla app. It taps into the controller. You can see how many uh, well, how much energy the solar panels are producing, how much you got from the from the electric grid, so on and so forth, how much you got from the battery. And then with the car, if it knows that you have Tesla power walls, you can actually program it to charge only at certain times. You can program it not to draw the battery down a certain amount so you can have that emergency reserve there. So it's pretty cool how it all works. Um, if we're in more of a bind, we could strategically charge at times where we don't have to use the electric grid. Uh, and I will say that we're spending less money on our system, even though we're paying for the solar panels and such. Um, and we did like the solar panel loans are a high interest rate, but now it's mm-hmm. considered a low interest rate <laughs> the way that the rates are now. Yeah. My wife just pointed that out to me. But uh, if we wanted to be strategic about it, we could basically drive our automobiles for no cost whatsoever. But we just charge whenever we come home and it does. We do pay the electricity, but it's definitely substantially less than gas. And then as far as maintenance on the cars, it's really nice not having to go to the gas station, not having to get the oil change, not having to worry about belts and hoses and me trying to figure it out on my own. I'm not the most mechanically inclined uh, taking it to the shop. Uh, I will say, though, the tie, we have a Model 3 and a Model X. The Model 3 has larger wheels. It's the sport performance model. We've yeah. had to replace the tires like literally four or five times, and they're not cheap. It may be because we have 20-inch wheels and we're out in the country, and like we shared earlier, they're not taking good care of the roads. But other than that, we haven't really had to mess with much of anything. It's still Does it have anything to do with how fast the accelerator goes down, John? <laughs> it may have something to do with it. I, sometimes people are like, come on, you don't actually think those are good for the environment, do you? And I'm like, look, you know, I, I like to I care about the earth, but that's not why we bought the car. No, because it's fun as hell to drive and it lights my kids up whenever we're going down the highway zero to 60 and 2.9 seconds. They, they love it. You know, I get a lot of crap for like, I don't pick on electric vehicles as a thing in and of themselves. And I don't pick on alternative energy as a thing into itself. And there is a lot of FUD on the, on, on the right that comes into that. Like, you know, you'll get stuck in traffic or whatever. They have plenty of range. I mean, obviously it's probably not the best car in the world. If you want to drive from San Francisco to Philadelphia, it's not, okay, fine. but most trip. people don't do that every day. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, you'll have to replace the batteries. Well, how long do most people own a car? Because the batteries are longer life than that. You know, we have new generation or the stuff about windmills and birds or whatever, like <laughs> birds flying to shit all over the place, not just windmills. <laughs> the problem we have is most people are not like you. They don't have three power walls. They don't have an 11 kilowatt solar system. The real thing holding, in my opinion, EVs back isn't even price because that's something that as you increase scale and competition, you'll mm-hmm. drive 
prices somewhat down. The real problem is that if we had 20% of the vehicles in America EVs and everybody went home at night and plugged them in, the grid will crash. That's that's the problem. Like the the maintenance that you were talking about, there's so much less maintenance on an EV. There really is. There's so many things you don't have to do. So many things that aren't designed to roll, roll, uh, wear out. There's so many less moving parts. There's so many less points of friction. Now, when things break, they tend to be really expensive to repair. But I think there's a lot of people making that argument. They're still thinking about what it costs to repair their 1970 75, you know, Chevy Coronado or something, right? Like. Have you bought a taillight for a modern pickup truck? Not even the whole assembly, just the cover. It's like $150. So nothing's cheap on any vehicle anyway. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, there's trade-offs with everything. And it is the case, even in Texas, right? We saw what happened with ERCOT in California. I think people get triggered, too, because they know that sooner or later it's going to be forced upon us. Yeah. And so it was my preference. I didn't have to get a Tesla. I didn't even want to get a Tesla. It was my wife's thing. And then I, when we test drove it and I went, it only, it has a single speed transmission. And it's just like, you just put your foot on the gas. And especially if it has that get up and go, the horsepower is like 800 horsepower, 650 horsepower, something crazy. crazy. You just barely put it. And then if you floor it, it's like zoom, but just the very act of being able to barely press the gas and you're able to pass somebody so easily. And then this really cool thing about it too, is like it does regenerative braking. So in order to slow down, you let your foot off of the accelerator. Okay. And whenever you slow down, it actually charges the battery. It's Correct. very nominal. It's not substantial, but it actually gets you, you know, maybe a dozen yeah. extra miles on a long drive. Um, that's pretty cool too. Just the driving experience, not only with it being so fast, you got these cool screens, but now that when I'm coming up to a stop, you know, to turn right to go home or whatever, like you, you get a feel for it. You're one yeah. with the vehicle. You don't even have to use the gas pedal. That's just a cool driving experience. It's something a lot of people haven't experienced. Um, but I, you know, and people rage out about Elon too, and they share the article. It's obvious you didn't read the article, like that whole <laughs> Chicago, uh, that they're stranded at the supercharger. And it's like, oh, yeah. I, was, I was looking at this. All right, here's some more FUD. Everybody hates Elon, so they're sharing yeah. it. Let me go read the article. Oh, these people that got stranded didn't precondition their battery, so it warms it up so it can receive the electrons more yeah. efficiently, and they weren't able to charge. Ah, it was a user error. It wasn't yeah. Tesla. They do are not they're not optimal in very, very cold conditions. It will drain the battery faster or you can't charge it as much. But that's not yep. a worry for us here in Texas. No, no. Once a year or twice a year, maybe um, we're going to go quick on this one. I'll let you say your piece on it. My my piece is probably run away. Uh, do you know anything about renouncing one's federal citizenship or retaining state citizenship? I've been invited to a small group led by a lawyer who advocates this? And what they're really talking about is becoming a national. So you don't have voting rights or anything, but you still have the ability to live, work, and exist in America. And supposedly then you don't have to pay taxes. I had somebody recently trying to get on the show to talk about this. I declined them. I don't generally do things that I think could end up with my people in federal prison for doing. And I don't want even to imply endorsement of something like this. I've looked into it. I have zero confidence in the legality of it. Do you have a different view? Because I'm fine if you do. I just don't. I'm totally with you. Um, I do value this PMA, Private Membership Association. Different thing. 
you can set up a bank account. Yeah, but it's this whole sovereign citizen world and this legal mechanisms for asserting your sovereignty kind of deal. So I can go on and on about this, but I'll make it quick. Yeah. What I believe it to be is an ought is fallacy. So there's an is ought fallacy. The is ought fallacy is just because that's the way things are doesn't mean that's the way things ought to be. Just because we have a government now doesn't mean we ought to have a government. Correct. The ought is fallacy is just because that's the way things are according to the law, that's the way things ought to be according to your interpretation of the law. Maybe it actually is the law with land patents and stuff, whatever. Or voluntary tax compliance. Is it really income? Blah, 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 blah. Just because that's the way things ought to be according to the law. Doesn't mean that's the way things are. And you bring up a lot of these arguments in front of a judge and 99 times out of 100, they don't give a damn about your guru or your lawyer or you filed this. You dotted the I. You sent the card to the Department of Treasury to get your black card. You renounced your debt, your credit, whatever, all caps, name, all this stuff. All this stuff. They don't care. And a lot of people that are successful with that, I've found they live small. Maybe yeah. then you're like, like they got the beat up truck without the plates, so they don't care if it gets impounded or they got the cabin in the woods. And it's like, by all means, Henry David Thoreau, whatever you want to do, whatever feels good. And like it, sometimes that's what it takes to actually be free in this world. But a lot of times if you're if you got a company, if you got a home, if you are trying to be successful financially, it's not the best route to go because you put yourself at a lot of undue risk. Um, but we do have a lot of people in the community. And I would say back to the freedom cell thing, if that is the path you're going to take, it sure would be helpful to have a community of people to support you if you end up in court. That's another thing, yeah. too. Like, I don't want to live yeah. my life in court. I did oh, that really? when I was younger and I didn't have my driver's license. I didn't renew the tags and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not engaged in commerce. This is an automobile. It's my personal conveyance. How did that work out for you? Uh, whenever I got the fifth ticket, they're like, your next ticket, we're actually going to not allow you to renew your driver's license yeah. for two years, whether you like it or not. I was found yeah. guilty every time. I spent yeah. so much time in court. Yeah. And then I had yeah. kids, too. And I was like, I don't want to keep getting pulled According over. According to Smith versus Jones, 1918, and the judge is just like, shut up and pay your fine. Yeah. The prosecuting attorney was like in his closing statements, he said everything this gentleman just said, he just looked it up on the Internet. None of it's true. Yeah. And they found me guilty. And I realized it was slave on slave violence. If that guy, why do I have to have a driver's license if he doesn't guilty? Like it's just tread cautiously and then be careful because everybody's got a guru and this people's followers think this guy's a fake and this guy's people think that guy's a fake. And it's like, who do you trust? What it, what, it, what it really goes wrong for me is when they start talking about like, well, when you're asked a question, the words you use, like you're going to use magic words or something like I live on the land. I don't live in the land. Like it's, it's like, OK, you know, when they ask you if you understand, you don't say that because then you stand <laughs> under their authority. Like you, if magic words worked, then you would see all kinds of people that are in jail, not in jail. Uh, you know, I'll leave it at that. And people get very mad at me when I say this and it's like, well, I'm going to do it. Well, and if you don't get caught, then I will be the person that says, good for you. It still doesn't mean that you didn't take the risk. Like, so you got away with something. People get away with stuff yeah. all the time. And I can tell you this idea because you're not a citizen. You don't have to pay income taxes. Stupid. Because I used to run one of the companies I used to run. We did a lot of marketing and we did like co-product marketing. So we would take like a martial artist from Ukraine and we built a martial arts DVD for him. And there were several other people we did things like that with. They didn't even live in the United States. We had to withhold income tax from the revenue that we sent them, 
right? So they don't even live here. They never even stepped foot here, but they were earning money in our market through our mm. company. They had to pay taxes. So this idea that, well, I'm not a citizen, so I don't have to pay taxes. Go talk to anybody that earns their living in the United States. It, like, why did Trump, you know, if people say didn't, Trump didn't pay taxes, he paid like $30 billion the year that they said he didn't pay taxes. If you didn't have to pay tax, if there was some loophole, Donald Trump would pay zero. Mm. And so would everybody like him. Right. Why would they not do it? Why would they not do it? It, it just I, I think it's it's like letting the person into your your prepper group that wants to talk about militias and explosives. Don't don't don't. Uh, and if you disagree, be careful. Uh, prep to adventure says might be off topic when building self-sufficiency. I like this. Do you think it's more effective to hyper focus on specific things or improve a little bit in all areas, John? I would encourage people to come up with a plan and it's like a plan laid out where you got goals and it's like, what's most important right now? Back to my thing where it's like, where am I most vulnerable? So for example, with Rebecca and I here in Texas, Jack, you lived through it. We had this crazy snowstorm in February and it was a real eye opener. I'm sure you were just fine, Jack. Yeah. It was a real eye opener for a lot of people. And we were living in a tiny home at the time. And thankfully we didn't have the electricity go down because we were close to a power plant. But anyway, we were like, the first thing we do when we get this homestead we're saving up for, we're going to put a solar system on it because we are not going to go through that again. Like my parents had to cuddle up in front of the fireplace in the living room. I think it was nice and romantic for them. They're drinking wine and stuff, but it's rough. People, people died, you know, like, so I would say like, what is the most important thing? Start on that. If there's other small things that are low investment, low time investment, and you can knock them out then knock those out as well. But I'm a big fan of, of focusing and I should take my own advice because in our business and we do so many damn things at once, it diminishes each one of them. So I'd encourage people like just to be real. What is the most important? Uh, what is the most important to me as far as being prepared and then lean into that, but also be aware there could be a few projects you could knock out in a weekend or even in a few hours, and maybe those can be done alongside it. But I encourage people to focus and then move on to the next thing, but do so in a strategic way that fits in with a broader plan. Yeah, I mean, my thing on this is, well, it makes me think of Robert Heinlein. I can't remember the whole quote, but it's like a man should be able to do all these things from like, you know, con a ship, change a diaper, whatever, and his specialization is for insects, hmm. right? Like we really should be generalists more as humans. And, and one of the other people that I've always really admired their work is uh, Benjamin Franklin, one of the country's founders. And, you know, he had the, the famous quip of a jack of all trades and a master of none. And with all due respect to Benjamin Franklin, I've actually changed that to a jack of all trades and a master of some. <laughs> I think there's certain things that every individual will find that they, they really excel at. And I think they should go at that with gusto and build that strength up so that they can be that specialist in one or two or three things mm. so they can apply themselves at the highest level they're capable of, but still be able to do general things. And if you want to build teams, you have to do that. So you know that the guy that you hired to do graphics work for you isn't bullshitting you. He's taking three times as long. Mm. He's like Scotty on Star Trek going, it'll take four hours, Captain. And he gets it done in three and he looks like a American. And he should have took an hour, right? Like, like you need to know enough to know when you're being BS'd to be able to overwatch a team. But you also need to realize, like, no matter what I do, I'm never going to be that great at graphics design. That's why I don't do it. Right. Or I'm like, I can do really great work with video editing, but it takes a long time. And my time's really spent better somewhere else. So I think 
I know those aren't the kind of skills he's probably thinking of, you know, but I'm a pretty good gardener as well. But my next door neighbor may not be, but maybe they can handle raising quail. And I can set them up with quail and then I've got eggs and meat and they've got vegetables because I don't have to worry about the quail anymore because anybody, once it's set up, can take care of quail. If you can't do that, you're going to kill a cactus in the desert. Like you just really, it's not that hard. So I think we should all try to like broaden our approach, but we should find the things that we're really great at and use that greatness to fulfill, you know, kind of our ultimate destiny and, and to meet our goals. But I think it's also like one of those questions, like if you could only have one gun, 22 or 12 gauge, well, you know, it's an interesting mental exercise, but in the end you just meet reality where it is. I like that. Yeah. And it's good to have a base level of knowledge enough to be able to delegate and enough to not get taken for a ride. Absolutely. So John, why don't we, as we wrap up here, tell them one more time about the freedom cell challenge, how they can get involved, what it's all about, when it starts. Cause it's only a few days away. Yep. So I hope folks will join us for the freedom cell challenge. It's absolutely free to join. You can sign up at livefree.academy slash TSP, livefree.academy slash TSP. It's taking place February 19th through the 23rd. 19th to the 23rd, we'll go live every day from 11 a.m. to around 1.30 or 12.30, actually, hour and a half or so. And uh, we'll be teaching you how to make the most out of the Freedom Cell Network. The Freedom Cell Network is a community of freedom lovers that are focused on taking action, specifically opting out of these terrible systems that we've been born into and building new systems, becoming more prepared connecting with others. And uh, we're hoping folks, whether they're already part of the network, whether they already have a community, whether they feel isolated, uh, we're going to have something for everybody so they can take things deeper. It's all about getting together with other freedom lovers in real life and working on projects that help us to become more independent, more resilient, and more anti-fragile. So I hope you'll join us again, livefree.academy slash TSP, livefree.academy slash TSP. And, and don't gloss over what John said there about like an hour and a half a day or whatever. Sometimes people hear these multi-day workshops and they see them as like eight hours a day for a week long. And it's like 56 hours of your time. <laughs> it's not that. John John has other things in his life he has to take care of on a daily basis. I don't think you got the bandwidth to run eight hours a day for seven days or something like that. I know I don't. That'd I would take a year to get ready to do it if I did, right? So. Yeah. It's not a huge time commitment, and it will open you up to a lot of things. There was also a question that I just kind of glanced over because you sell Kratom. It's like, what's his opinion of Kratom? He thinks it's good because he sells it. He also sells uh, CBD and uh, Delta-8 uh, cannabis products as well. Uh, John sells these at a, a site called Brave Botanicals, and we have Brave Botanicals in the MSB with a discount, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so just a quick you know, shout-out for John's other – uh, operation there. I know Brave Botanicals helps pay a lot of the bills for you. So uh, people should know about that if they don't already know it. And when I have people on so often, I often forget that that doesn't mean that anybody knows all the other stuff. So <laughs> uh, BraveBotanicals.com, great source. Uh, great my bra- my Brave Botanicals. What's that? The website, uh, the URL is MyBraveBotanicals.com. My Brave Botanicals. Brave Botanicals is like some shampoo company or something. I wish oh, I could okay. You know what, why don't uh, we just make sure that everybody knows the URL properly, at least it sees the video. There, there it is. Go. 
And we do a free ounce still, freeounceofkratom.com. Freeounceofkratom.com. You just pay $5 shipping and handling, and uh, you'll be able to get a free ounce to try of our most popular type. Helps with stress, anxiety, pain. Um, you actually, when going on your show, it must have been back in 2017 or something, 2018, uh, I went on Tom Woods, and then I went on Jack's show talking about Kratom and this free ounce thing, and you guys like absolutely blew me up. And back then, I was the only person running the company, and I literally yeah. had like three or four consecutive nights uh, where I was up till 4 a.m. packaging and shipping. So uh, you guys what have I done? <laughs> you were literally one of those like 90s internet commercials where the people bought the website, turned it on, and then it was like, oh, we got an order already. Oh uh, shit! Turn it uh-oh. off. Oh, <laughs> hey, look who's got the assist for you standing right by there, John. There she is, my lovely wife Rebecca. Yeah, she's yeah. a sweetheart. She says they don't switch, they don't shift to Arkansas because it's illegal or something. Yeah, yeah they mean, there's six states where it's illegal. Unfortunately, I think they just lumped it in when they banned like bath salts or uh, yeah. K2, the spice thing or whatever. Yeah, and their ignorance. It's a plant. All it is is the powderized yeah. leaf of a tree. It has all sorts yeah. of great medicinal properties. And oh, well, there's a lot of decades of people going to jail for powderized leaves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> say that. I'm sure it's illegal in Louisiana. I'm pretty sure oregano is no, Louisiana. Louisiana's good, surprisingly. Well, Louisiana's good. Huh. That's like Indiana, Vermont of all places. Vermont's cannabis was legal really early. Indiana, Vermont, Minnesota, Arkansas, and a couple others nobody ever goes to anyway. Uh, all right. Well, uh, anyway, guys, definitely you should check out Bray Botanicals if you haven't already. Uh, with that, John, I want to say thank you for being with us today. It's been a great discussion, as it always is when I have you on. Um, it's great to work with somebody that does the same thing I do because uh, then it's it's really easy to have these conversations and, and everything just kind of flows. So uh, thanks for your professionalism. Thanks for your work and your dedication. Uh, at the beginning, uh, I don't know if you realize that you misspoke. Uh, you said you'd been in the in the space since 2012. I think you meant 2002. So I, I did a post there and I said he got the he got the years right, but the uh, the starting date wrong. Uh, a guy that's been in the liberty movement for two decades plus, uh, as young as John is, that's an OG of the liberty movement, John. So thank you for all the work you've done to help others. Thanks, Jack. Really appreciate you for. The cool thing about Jack is it's like preparedness, but then you're also a radical anarchist agorist that gets it. So I think that's a pretty <laughs> solid combo. Appreciate your work too, buddy. If you got to be prepared, you got to know that you got to be worried about your uh, your risks. And there's probably no more of a, of a risk to people's lives and happiness right now than the state. So I don't know how you're a prepper and not an agorist. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, John. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks. All right, folks. Well, thanks for being with us today as well. I really appreciate you. This is the part where I give you a little bit of shilling of my item of the day, but I think you're going to like it today. Uh, item of the day today is these galvanized steel raised garden beds. They come in a two-pack. Uh, I think it's a hundred. Let me just look real quick so I don't get it wrong. Uh, I wrote it up this morning. 145 bucks uh, for two of them. This is a product that I found because so many of you have asked me about another similar product that I've been selling uh, as an item of the day uh, from a company called FreeZone that makes uh, a very similar product, except it's two, these are one foot deep and the FreeZone ones are two feet deep. So I like two foot deep raised beds because ducks don't go in them. That's, that's the main reason why. A foot is plenty. These cost a lot less. A two pack at 45, 145 bucks. Uh, so you can do the math there and divide that by two. You got a pretty low cost of entry, 72 bucks a piece. 
I did something in the write-up here. I added this today. So let's do a bit of math. Let's say you're going to build two four-foot by eight-foot beds out of pressure-treated lumber. You're going to be at like $45 in lumber each, each. Then you're going to need some really, like you don't want to build raised garden beds with like cheapo screws or whatever, like stainless steel, good quality screws. You're in about 10 bucks per bed in screws. You're like $55 per bed versus $75. They'll ship it to your house. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do any work except bolt them together. And they'll last for decades because they're made out of galvanized steel. And so they're just a, you know, a buy one, buy one's cry one's product. The reason I'm recommending them over the Frizone ones, we're my number one selling item of the day in 2023, by the way. You guys bought so many of them, they never have them in stock anymore. And when they do, they have such low stock, they jack the price up to keep them selling out. So what was a $125 product is now like a $185 product. I don't think the two-foot version of this thing is worth that much money. So I can't recommend them right now. This is the best thing I found available in this space. And the reason I have it for you today Spring is springing as we speak. I know a lot of the country, it's still really cold and all, but it's going to be March, like faster than you can think of March 21st, first day of spring by the calendar. Uh, it is time to get those gardens in. I'm getting a lot of questions. I haven't put a garden in yet. Now I'm in the last minute rushing. Like it doesn't get easier. You set these up, you level them, maybe throw down some weed blocker, fill them up and plant them. And these, honestly, I would fill them up about four inches with small chopped up old rotted pieces of wood and stuff like you're doing hula culture or even wood chips or something like that. That'll save you on the high quality fill and it'll pay you huge dividends long term as a fungal reserve. And what would be better if you had some great compost to put in them? So if you haven't taken my uh, simplified bioreactor composting course yet, please check out homefoodsystems.com. Everybody that's taken that course has given us nothing but positive feedback. We, you know, we're getting three, four orders a day of people taking the course, and everybody's happy with it. That says something, and so check that out. Take care, guys. I will catch you tomorrow with a Just Jack show, and we're going to go a little bit fire and brimstone tomorrow because you guys have been asking for it. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.